Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. Grab a coffee and get comfortable. It's time for another installment of the Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche, where we bring you your weekly serving of the news that matters. Helping us break things down into bite-sized chunks is DM168 editor Heather Robertson, and there's a lot to digest. Here's what's coming your way. The ANC has a Zuma problem, and there's no easy fix. How does someone believe that they are above the law? Who allowed that person to think that way? The ANC did. Who's funding your political party of choice? We look at party donors and question their intentions. Then, a unique approach to address South Africa's GBV crisis. And a massive win for South Africa's vultures. Let's get into it. Heather, welcome back to the whole week wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. It feels like forever since our last chat. How have you been? I've been great, thanks. <laughs> Had a great break from the news cycle and, and I've been back for the last two weeks. So before we get into the meaty bits of today's show, I want us to just quickly talk about the doomsday clock. I'm kind of thinking, let's get the really depressing news out of the way first. (laughs) So sadly, according to scientists at the Science and Security Board of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, yes, it's a mouthful, confirmed (laughs) that things haven't improved much in the last year. We're still only 90 seconds away from midnight and they've cited several factors including the nuclear threats that are developing across the world, dismal climate change outlook, the dangers of AI, global unrest. I want to know from you what are your thoughts on the doomsday clock? The good news is that we're still at 90 seconds. Yes. (laughs) Same as the year before, right? (laughs) But the bad news is we have allowed ourselves as humans to lose sight of the fact that we are a very expendable species. And by this, I mean, the planet is going to be fine without us. And the 90 seconds is not for the planet, it's for us as humans. We're going to blow each other up with these nuclear warheads that countries like Russia, America, China, India, Iran, are all, you know, scurrying to improve on. If we can allow that to happen, then it's tickets for us as humans. But the good news is, is that it's not tickets for the planet. That'll give place for the planet to renew itself. And Mm -hmm. I really think humans should catch a wake up. We're the apex species and we supposedly have intelligence, but we're not really exhibiting it very well because look at the number of wars that are happening out there and look look at how we cannot actually seem to live with, with difference. It's great that the scientists have put this out because 90 seconds away from someone pressing a button that's going to start another doomsday scenario. feels exactly the way I felt when I was a teenager in the 1980s when the Cold War was still raging. Mm. We've not moved in 40 years. We know we need a planet that that can actually support all of us. But if we continue doing this, it'll be like, like like those zombie apocalypse movies. 
Well, for those listening in, maybe not entirely sure what this doomsday clock mm. is. It's not an actual clock, you know. It's mm. more a symbolic representation of our various failings as humans. Yes. And, I mean, it's been around for a very long time, since like the 1940s, when the threat of nuclear weapons became all too real. It's also a reminder that nothing is set in stone. Just because we are at 90 seconds doesn't mean we can't take it back to, let's say, just 100 seconds or at one point it was at 17 minutes <coughs> to midnight which was yeah. massive yeah. when they signed various nuclear deals so i mean it's possible it can inspire us but we really really as humanity as a collective need a wake-up call and and very quickly once held up by the ANC as, quote, the savior for the country's economic woes and a committed communist, the ruling party stood firmly by former President Jacob Zuma's side through a myriad of scandals. There was the arms deal, rape charges, Nkandla, his anti-gay sentiments and state capture. But it seems the ANC has had enough, especially now that Zuma has seemingly turned on his political home by endorsing the newly formed MK party. So, what's an already fractured ANC to do? You recently suggested we talk about former ANC member Mbazima Shiloa's recent comments on Jacob Zuma. I mean, it was a damning piece of writing in which he essentially says the ANC only has itself to blame for Zuma's very clear attempts to, as Shaloa puts it, devour the ruling party. <laughs> what struck you about this, what I would call an open letter to the ANC, in which he basically tries to tell them, I told you so? Absolutely. I mean, remember, he was part of the breakaway from the ANC when the ANC voted Zuma as a leader in, in Polokwane in, in 2008. And he's, I mean, he's originally from Kasatu. He's the former premier of Gauteng. And remember, he went off to form COPE, but that didn't last very long. But does know, you know, what happened within the ANC that led them to, to support. So, so the left wing of the ANC were, were very upset with Thabo Mbeki, feeling that he'd gone to uh, middle of the road, neoliberal, um, was he, that, that he was, you know, more pro-business and anti-worker. And then the point that Cyril makes that really, really, really made me laugh was that, and then the ANC goes and chooses the greediest, money-hungry person as a figurehead for the left, for the workers. Someone who actually, I mean, really doesn't give a toss about the workers, gives it like really it was all about himself. And and yet the ANC went ahead and supported him again and again and again. And, and so defended he had, him. Defended his excess, supported him within Kandla, the Gupta flying in the Vatikruf Air Base, the supporting of his son, Dudazani. The ANC just, just in parliament, just like, yeah, you know, supported to. So he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. The ANC created Jacob Zuma and the ANC kicked out those who were questioning it. And then I mean, look what happened in 2021. When Justice Zondo is like, put his foot down and said, you will appear, and he, and he refuses. He thinks it's about the law. It really does. How does someone believe that they are above the law? Who allowed that person to think that way? The ANC did. And why did they? Because it's a culture of patronage. You know, we support him. He'll support us. And, like, and he look brought at in the state. voters yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes, he, he, and, he brought it. But this is the thing that really is disturbing is how voters have been hoodwinked. 
he was lovely, he was cuddly and warm and many wives and, hey, you know, he's like the common man. Yeah. And look yeah. where the common man has led us to. He's mm. gone against the very party that actually raised him, that grew his reputation. Mm. And mm. He's, he's, he's saying he's not leaving it, but he's campaigning for another party. We know, oh, what planet? Plus yeah. planet A and C, this happens. Someone wrote actually that, you know, we mustn't look at Zuma as simply an ANC problem at this stage, but it's a South yeah. African problem now. And yeah. the problem is that the ANC seems wholly paralyzed in handling the Zuma matter, especially yeah. now with the looming elections. So yeah. how how do they juggle this and and get out of this unscathed? I can't really see it going well for them whichever way they go. I can't see it as well. Um, but it looks like the ANC and KZN, they've sent, they've sent friends of his to try and convince him unsuccessfully. And it seems like what's happening is they're now actually totally distancing themselves from him without suspending him. Because, you know, he plays the victim. So I can understand why they wouldn't suspend him because then it would go, you see, the ANC's turned against me. So they, it seems like they're letting him, giving him enough rope to hang himself, basically. Yeah. If you're an ANC supporter and, you know, with him out of the ANC, will the ANC get the same support? Would it increase support for the IFP? I think it's fascinating. It could be to the favor of the ANC because then they can see and they say, this is the new ANC. It's like we said that we're trying to renew ourselves. He's not part of us. Look what he did. He was part of state capturing all these people and behind the riots of 2021. Although it was the ANC. I'm sorry to say, it was the ANC that gave this country Jacob Zuma. So. Politics is big business and it attracts big funders. And we're not talking a few thousand rounds here and there. Some of South Africa's biggest parties are receiving tens of millions of rands from private donors to further their campaigns with one ambition, national or provincial victory. From mining magnates to banking bigwigs, a lot of money is being pumped into the electioneering game right now. But at what cost? So I want to stick with politics and I want to kind okay. of talk about the business of politics. Uh, News yeah. 24 journalist Carol Patton published a fascinating piece on <laughs> donors, bankrolling essays, opposition parties, how much influence they maybe have. And it just made me really think a little bit differently about the elections and about the future of politics in South Africa, mm. because we know the private sector has made it clear numerous times that, you know, should the trajectory of SA politics not change soon, we're destined for collapse. So how much influence do you think donors from the private sector have in party decisions? Because based on Carol's article, it seems like there's quite a, a lot of conversations happening behind closed doors about policy making, who should be the next leader of, in, the, in her example, the DA and mm. it's it's so interesting. So I mean let's go right back to the Nationalist Party. Businesses supported the Nationalist Party because if, I mean what is businesses' chief interest? To make a profit. There are rare businesses who care about this country, who care about its people. But I found that story so fascinating because on the one hand, when the ANC came to power very clearly, I mean and this is the, the beginning of the beginning of the ANC's engagement with corruption, I would say. Mm. Very early on, businesses from all over were wooing various anti-politicians. So let's not kid ourselves. And so 
in an instance when when the people that businesses did support didn't turn out the way they expected because everybody wanted to turn to eat. Everyone in the ANC wanted to turn to eat, not just those select few that the business chose, you know, to, to, to pump up. And that led to the devouring of our local government departments. It has led to the collapse of, of our civil service, of the ability of government to actually to deliver. So I can see these businesses sitting back and going like, okay, that, that, that was a failed experiment. What next? In Carol's story, it seems, and I have to admit, I have heard this, is that this few very wealthy businessmen have been in their different various think tanks, dinner parties, whatever, saying that we would like the DA to be in charge. But the thing is, is do they not understand what a democracy actually is? Whether we like it or not, what the DA has done saying things like Musi Maimani was a failed experiment. We, we, we were told that we need to get black leadership to win more votes and it didn't work out. How hard did they actually try? That they've given up on it and they've called Musi a failed. I mean, they, how disgusting is it to, to say that to another human being? I mean, well, mm. now the new experiment is John Stianism. And here, reading Carol's story, it seems to be that business are saying John is a failed experiment. He, he's not a person that we want to lead. Let's catapult one of our own. And who is yes. the one of our own? Roger Jardine, because he's former got first something. Strand. Yeah, the former yeah. first round chair, yes. I just, I find it very cynical. I mean, I take my hat off to stay and just say like, no, I, the, the, we had talks and then we had three meetings and then we felt very uncomfortable. It's kind of like, yes, you, you run a business, you own a business, you've either earned your wealth in this generation or you've got like generational wealth behind you. That's very different from forming a political party and going out on the hustings and campaigning and arguing and coming up with proper policies and getting your party to agree to it. That's mm. not an easy job. That's politics. It's almost like these business people think they can just catapult politicians in and, and make them do your bidding. This is the thing. Are they there for we the people or are they there for the interests of very wealthy people? The few very wealthy people yes. who are part of the Gini coefficient that, that has such massive divide between the mm. haves and have nots in this country. Yeah. So this mm. is the point. Whose policy is this actually? Because I can guarantee you that there are people funding the EFF for a particular idea. Mm. Every single party has a lobbyist. What happens mm. to what is good for the people of this country? Quite frankly, I can't see anyone really representing the interest of, 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 of ordinary mm. South Africans. Because if you have an individual giving 30 million rands to one political party, I cannot help but question what the fine print is behind yeah. that, because that's a lot of what money. What policy are you pushing for? Yeah. Yes, exactly. In the realm of psychotherapy, no person is the same. What works for one individual might not be as effective for the next. So when it comes to addressing gender-based violence within communities, finding a one-size-fits-all method can be tricky. But one psychologist is bringing a unique approach that speaks directly to the cultural complexities often underlying the GBV crisis in South Africa. And it's proving to be a huge success. 
Then we celebrate the completion of the first phase of the biggest vulture relocation project ever undertaken on the African continent. So I think after all of that, we genuinely need to get into our green shoots. And yes. we have two really heartwarming stories. I came across this amazing initiative that started in 2016. It's called Paula, meaning to heal or cool down. And the concept is fairly simple, you know, but the impact is monumental. We have psychologist Nkazelo Nkube Mlilo, who's traveling across Johannesburg in a caravan to help women, families and communities to address and process the various impacts of gender-based violence, which we both know is a massive problem in, in mm. our country. They refer to their counseling approach as, quote, culturally appropriate. And this essentially means that their team addresses elements of mental health stigma, family and patriarchy and uh, masculinity. And they talk about all of these things. And it's all run from a caravan and shipping containers because this concept is now really lifting off and, and spreading. And I just think it's a fantastic initiative. Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, you know, you know what really struck me is when Leela saying, you know, I've been trained in Western psychology and then realizing when she went back to Zimbabwe, I think she was working with kids affected by AIDS that the kids didn't want to talk and they wouldn't open up and that she had to find other ways of, of getting them to open up. And then she connected with the with the psychologist who was working with Aborigines in Australia and realized that, that you've got to actually adapt to be culturally specific, to use narrative storytelling. And she came up with this concept of the of the of the tree of life, which is quite amazing. It's like as a way of of people telling their stories and being open enough to say, like you know, the roots of my tree began here. There's often the stigma of of oh, but I'm bringing down my family by speaking about this shameful yes. thing, and that I'm a bad person because I've allowed this to happen to me. One of the women who've who've been through her therapy says at the end, I actually feel for my abuser because I know he has his own problems, but it's not it's not my duty to heal him. I'm here and I've come to, to, to this place to heal myself and I am now strong enough. And and I also really appreciate that the team is clearly trying to bring solutions by, you know, educating boys and men about yes. uh, what they refer to as harmful masculinity. And I think to date they've reached well over 2,000 men who are now yeah. uh, paying it forward. So speaking of healing, our other green shoot is more about healing nature. And yeah. this is a quick throw forward to a story mm -hmm. that we've just recently filmed. And it's the first phase of the largest ever relocation of vultures. And it was a huge success. It was completed earlier this month where 160 Cape and African white-backed vultures were moved from Africa's only vulture conservation organization <laughs> called Volpro to a location in Hartbeespoort. We all know that vultures and other raptors are facing widespread collapse due to poison, poaching, habitat loss. What an achievement for these wonderful birds. You know, it's quite funny. I think there's a lot of uh, superstition around vultures. Yes. I mean, I remember when I worked in the Eastern Cape, vultures, you know, being caught and used for mooty. So the, the fact that, that we're actually taking cognizance of the role that vultures play in, in dealing with, with dead carcasses and basically cleaning up so that germs and bacteria 
viruses don't actually affect the rivers and food system and, and other animals. We are so removed from nature that we don't realize the value. They're not the most beautiful birds, right? Yes. <laughs> and they're, 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 they're not the models. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not the supermodels of, no. the, <laughs> of the bird kingdom, but they do play a really important role in, in cleaning up animal conservation. Yeah, it's fantastic work that, that, that there is an organization that is looking at not just the, the, the moving, but also looking into breeding as well. Well, Heather, I love your passionate commentary. You really bring such a a very real and human perspective to these stories. I appreciate your time and thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks very much. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms.